You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 is one of those, or Philippians as a book, particularly chapter 1, is one of those places where you could, for the next six weeks, we could preach out of Philippians chapter 1, and each week we would preach something different. There's so many nuggets in there. The way that Paul writes this book, to me, has always made this my favorite, my favorite book. We were talking in sync meeting this morning, asking about verses that meant a lot to us, that helped us through life, that help us face the challenges of life. <clears throat> and mine is right here, is Philippians 1.6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. It's always been an amazing journey when you think about when you came to the Lord. I don't know how long it's been. Maybe it's been just a few years. Maybe it's been a lot of years. I'm not quite sure. But I'm going to title this message this morning, Obedient Choices and a blessed life. You know, the theme of the Bible, if you go through so many of the books of the Bible, whether it be in the Old Testament or the New Testament, you're going to find a theme in there that if you preach that to yourself every morning, it's easy to remember, and that is that obedience brings blessing. Simple as that. We could probably stop this message right here and apply tons of different pieces and portions of our life to that particular phrase, that obedience brings blessing. As an opposite to that, (laughs) disobedience does not bring blessing. But we're going to talk about the positive things this morning, because we make make choices every single day of our life. Let's read this, let me read this portion to you this morning that we're going to study, starting just in verse 6, I already said what it was, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 20 it says, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for all your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. We all know who the author of Philippians was. He authored a lot of different books. This is one of them. It's the Apostle Paul. 
And there's something about the way that Paul writes that is kind of astonishing. Just in that verse that we're going to concentrate on this morning, this idea of choice, this idea of to choose or, (coughs) excuse me, to choose to, how many of you in the last week have chosen to do all kinds of different things? We choose all the time. We make choices that sometimes are either life-changing or sometimes are just rather trivial. But in any case, every single day, we do make choices. Do you believe, just think about today, this book was written, this particular book of Philippians was written basically a couple thousand years ago. The Bible itself is very, very old. Picture that, put this book into today, March 13th, 2022. (laughs) Do you ever think you would say the word 2022? I'm still back on 1994 or whatever. (laughs) It's been very difficult to to get into the 20s as we have. But we want to apply this particular portion of scripture today. We want to apply it to today's life. And that's the beauty of Scripture. We can study all we want about the history of Paul, or the history of the apostles, the history of those who wrote Scripture. And yet it's always so important to take what they wrote and try to bring it into your current situation. We don't just recite Scripture to, just for the act of recitation. We read Scripture, hopefully, to have it do something for us. It's, I, don't, I don't want to call it magical. I don't want to call it, you know, it is supernatural what the Word can do when we actually spend time reading it. And as Americans today, I don't think we're very good readers. We like, we like to listen to something on the radio. We like to listen to CDs or whatever it might be. Or maybe even listen to sermons that have been recorded. But we have a difficult time sometimes, and I, and I put myself in that same, <clears throat> that same group. We have a difficult time actually taking time, set aside time to read something. A book. Scripture. It's something that you pick up. I, I, don't, I like listening to Scripture in the car. It's okay. I, I don't mind that. But it's something about picking up the book and by myself reading something that the Word has to say. And if you haven't done that in the last week, I challenge you today to do it, because there's something about it that is is calming, it can be very life-changing. And a verse can stand out to you, maybe not as much to me as it does to you, or to you as it does to me, that just actually like lights up on the page that reminds me of what kind of a journey I'm on. And we, we are def- definitely on a journey. And that's why we were, when you talk about verses that you claim for yourself, verses that, that stick out to you, that actually become to you like a, a life verse, a verse that really means something to you every time that you say it. 
And that's why this, this book of Philippians, to me, does that, because it always was, ever since I became a Christian, which was in 1972, that was the century before, okay. So it's been, this summer will be 50 years. So I think, whoo, 50 years. I don't know how many of you in this room are, are 50 years old. <laughs> I had a girl. There, there's some of you that are with me, okay. <laughs> I've been married for 50, well, this summer will be 53 years. <laughs> and we got married when I was four and she was two. But, <clears throat> but this verse is, is, it makes you, I don't know, when you read the book of Philippians, there's something about it that makes you ask questions. And I, I like to ask questions to myself, and so I'm going to ask a question to you. If you're, if you're bringing this particular passage into today's world, if you bring scripture into today's world, something that was written so long ago and you bring it into today, March 13th, 2022, if I asked you this question, I'm not sure, quite sure if you'd agree with me or not, but do you believe that today, this moment, we are living in unprecedented times. Yes, no. That's interesting. The word unprecedented is a big word, but all it means is in something that has that we've never seen or known before. <clears throat> There's nothing new under the sun, King Solomon said. And yet every century, every decade, every year brings with it something that is unprecedented. You go through your life from the, from the very time that you can remember, I don't know how far back that is, if you, if you can remember when you were two or three, or maybe, golly, you remember when you were in the womb. I don't, I don't know. But there's things that, that come to mind <clears throat> when you think about the beginning of your life and where you are today where I am today. All those years that have compounded with all the experiences that we have had and all the choices that we have had to make throughout those years has, has brought us to today. So you and I are unique. We are all different in one sense. We are the same in another sense. As believers, we are grouped together in one body to be able to function together in life. <clears throat> Everybody does that. Some people do it more successfully than others. But to, to withstand the slings and arrows that come at us in a culture which we live today, how do we apply that to what scripture says about how we need to live and what kind of choices we need to make to make our life good, prosperous, Christian, truthful, blessed. All that we want from the Christian life is right in here. And yet we have to sometimes <clears throat> try to extrapolate from that scripture 
something that applies directly to me or to you. And this, this particular passage <clears throat> does exactly that. It, puts, it hits us right square in the face with the fact that Paul, in his wisdom, says that what should I choose? And I, I love the way he puts this, because Paul, as we know, I didn't know him personally. Someday I hope to meet him. But as you know, in his writings, he was very, very succinct in how he explained how he was living through what he was living through, who he was dealing with, who he was talking to, what God he was serving, and what circumstances led him to say and to write what he wrote to us. He wrote a whole lot of the New Testament. A lot of it. And so he's someone that we have to, you know, we don't put him on a pedestal, although, hey, he's a good writer, right? I mean, he was blessed. He was inspired by God to put down on paper some things that were everlasting, which in sense, in a sense, was inspired, the inspired word of God. I've never written anything that was the inspired word of God. I have never written anything, and neither have you, that has been, that has been put into this book that we call the scriptures. Those days came to an end a long time ago, but now we are supposed to take what is written <clears throat> and somehow understand it and apply it to our life. And so when you think about <clears throat> unprecedented times, yes, I think in a sense we can say, I think we can say it, we can say it carefully, but I can guarantee you from, from Jesus' day forward, or even going back into the Old Testament from creation forward, with the situations that people faced in their life, all those thousands of years, from, <clears throat> oh my gosh, in the Old Testament, all the, you had the famines, you had the wars, you had those who were, who were out to kill the Jews, you were those who would, who would want to destroy Israel. Did they ask the question in the middle of those turmoils, in the middle of those wars and those, those people dying all around them, did they ask the question, these are, are these unprecedented days that we're living in? They probably did. Jump into the 20th century, okay? We're not in the 20th century anymore, we're in the 21st century, but a lot of things happened in the 20th century, and you can probably name a few of those. One was... World War I. Anybody know when that was? From 1914 to 1918, it was the first world war. Did people ask, with all the death and destruction that was going on in that war, did they ask the question, are we living, if, the, if I asked them, are you living in unprecedented times, they would say, absolutely. We have never experienced anything like this, ever in our life. During the Depression, in the 1920s, I know these go back further than most of us were alive. None of us here, I'm sure, were alive during the days of the Depression. My grandparents were, and they used to talk about it. <clears throat> In those days, when food was scarce, when, when jobs were, were not to be found, were those days when they said, are we living? If someone asked them, are you living in unprecedented times? I think they would say, oh yeah. We are. I've never experienced anything like this. World War II. Anybody here old enough to have served in World War II? 
My father did, so. You did? You served in World Yeah, I, you're pretty young there, sweetheart, but that's okay. <laughs> but did, questions were asked, I'm sure, over and over, the number of people that died in World War II and the, and the disruption in the world and the destruction and all that took years and years and years to rebuild. If you ask them, are you living in unprecedented times? Have you ever experienced anything like this before? They'd say, no, we never have. I was in Germany in the 60s, when I, I studied over in Europe in the 60s. And I was in Germany and we went to Berlin, which was then divided. Berlin is, was in East Germany, and then you had West Germany across the border. West Germany, they were prosperous and they were building things, they were, they were a democracy, they had come out of the war just fine. You cross right over what they call Checkpoint Charlie and go right into East Germany, and it was like you were walking into the 50 years earlier. East Berlin was still in the 60s. The war had been over for 20 years. The destruction was still there. The bricks in some of the streets were still on the street. It's like, do these people know how to rebuild? But they were living, and I'm sure if you ask them, in the way they were living in that time, in that particular city in East Berlin under communism, they would have said, yeah, we are living in unprecedented times. We never expected this to happen. So now take that, if you would, and jump into to today. We live in America, which I still think is one of the greatest places to live on Earth. And yet, there are struggles, there are political struggles, and then there's the famous you-know-what that demanded that we wear masks. Have we ever lived in a time like that? In my lifetime, I never wore a mask in my entire life, unless I was in the room with, and my wife was having a baby. So are we living today, March 13th, 2022, are we living in unprecedented times? I'd have to say absolutely. Absolutely. We've never lived through some of this before. And that's the, <clears throat> it's important to understand one thing. That the world is always an, an, an uneasy place to live. There's nothing perfect about living here. We're constantly struggling, we have to deal with sickness, we have to deal with, with long lines at the gas station, we have to live with $5 gas, probably by the tomorrow it'll be $5. Not <laughs> What's that? Knock on wood. I think in California it's $6, but <clears throat> we're living through weird, weird times. But in a sense, that's where Paul says we have some choices to make, okay? So unprecedented times, this is a word that I hope will stick in your mind this week as you begin to think about this passage, that word unprecedented that I'm sure we haven't used in daily conversation for some time. 
But unprecedented times demands thoughtful choices. Therefore, if we are in these times, our, our choices become very important. Now you look back on your life. Paul says, you know, what, what shall I choose? He says it in such a remarkable way. Shall I depart, which is really not his choice. <laughs> he didn't know. He wasn't psychic. He didn't know when God was going to take him home. But he said, which, which should I choose? Should I choose to depart and be with him forever, which is the blessed way out? Or should I remain? And more importantly, should I remain for you, he says. For your sake. So that's a pretty big choice. But how many of you, when you think about, if, you know, just a show of hands, how many of you in the last, say, oh, I don't know, we'll say it, the last year, how many of you have had to make very difficult or really vitally important choices in your life? Good. Well, let me, let me share one from the past. Carrie will get a kick out of this. Carrie is here. She's my last, she's our last naturally born child. We had four of those. But when you add up how many we really had, it, it came to 13. Lucky number 13. <clears throat> I remember driving home one day back in Portland and I was listening to Christian radio, which I did quite a bit, and there, there was a, a couple that sang, they were called Steve and Annie Chapman. I know that dates me, you probably have absolutely no idea who that is. But if you ever see a recording from them, <clears throat> listen to it. It's really quite, it's quite good, almost like folk music, right? Which again is, you know, where I was raised. But I remember listening to that song, the song that they sang was called Bring That Child to Me. And uh, I thought, geez, that song kind of hits home. Eileen was asking if we should think about adoption. <laughs> and my first, my first response was, <clears throat> no. <laughs> I'll be honest. <laughs> I, I just didn't have, at that time, I did not have that same, uh, Eileen would have had 17 kids. That's what she had had really desired. We never quite make it, made it to that. <clears throat> but she would have gone to that number. I don't know what magical number that 17 is, but it was important to her. And so the more we talked about it, <clears throat> and sometimes argued about it, um, when I was listening to that song, that was a song about adoption. And I thought, uh-oh, <laughs> I'm in trouble. Because he was talking to me. And so I said, okay. So I, I gave in. I said, okay. And it wasn't long after that that my younger sister called us and said, this was in 1988, okay? We'd already had our, our last, Carrie was our last one. She was born in 83, right? I can still remember. 
cute little thing. Her birthday was yesterday, by the way. Say happy birthday. But <laughs> <laughs> well, we got a phone call from my sister. And she said, do you guys want a baby? That's exactly how she said it. Do you want a baby? And I said, well, um, I don't know. I guess so. What, what else do we say? She said, well, she had a friend who was going to give up her child. I said, yeah, well, that, they say that. They say while they're pregnant, maybe they want to give it up. They, they're in horrible circumstances. They're not married, and, and the father's not in, the, in their life. You know, it, it's a common story, right? <clears throat> in many cases, though, in that sort of situation, they end up not really giving up the child. They give birth and they take one look at that baby and they say, no way, that baby's not going anywhere. So he said, well, sure, if, if she's really serious, that's fine, we'll go to a lawyer and start paperwork and all the rest of it, which we did. And sure enough, she had the baby April 2nd of 1988. And that was Drew. I have a hard time talking about him because he's gone. And we had him for almost 11 years. And sure enough, he started, he was the beginning of something that was about to drastically change. in our family. Sorry, I knew I would do that, but I'll get through it. <laughs> but the miracle was that a year, about 13 months later, the lawyer called again, and he was, he was laughing on the phone before I even said hello. He said, you are not, you're not going to believe this. But that same woman, that same mother of Drew, has another one that they want to give you. I'm sorry. It's like going to the grocery store and buying a gallon of milk. I said, Why, what are you talking about? <laughs> she wants to just give us a baby. And sure enough, she did. <clears throat> and that was Addie. <laughs> you all know Addie. And she was born in 1989, so she was only, golly, 13 months maybe behind Drew. And so I think what the choices that, or the choice that was put before us at that time in our situation, in our marriage, and in our family, was such a, both of those were such drastic choices to make. Because in a sense, when you think that your family's complete, and you can move on and, and start another chapter of your life, then God interrupts that. <laughs> and he interrupts it loudly. <laughs> and so you look at Scripture, and Scripture has a lot to say about 
choosing. And about when you adopt a child, there's something miraculous when you have your own child, right? It's just an awesome, awesome situation. But there's also something absolutely miraculous about choosing <laughs> a child to become part of your family. It's like going to a lineup and everybody lines up and you pick that one. I'll take that one. And that happened a lot in American history. You think if you read it in American history during cowboy days, during the, the, the growth of the western part of the country, there were people who were looking for children because they were moving west and they needed, they needed help. They needed farmhands. They needed a family to help them in their, on their venture. And they would literally go to places where they could look at a group of kids and pick one out and say, I'll take that one. <laughs> or I'll take those two, that brother and sister. I'll take those. Hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of kids were adopted that way. But the neat thing about adoption, and, and you know, Drew always said that, Addie said that, there's something about adoption where they can say to you, I'm in this family because mom and dad picked me. <laughs> right? There's something really kind of special about being able to say that. And Drew always liked to tell his story of how he came to us. Little did we know, though, where that would lead. And we obviously ended up adopting a few more. But jump ahead to 2000. Addie was born in 89, so she was about 11 when we decided I had a job opportunity to come to, we were in Washington, we lived in just outside of Vancouver, Washington all those years. I was a Washingtonian through and through, born and raised there. So was Eileen. And all of a sudden my job said, hey, there's an opening out in Hastings, Nebraska. Okay. Would you go? Would you be interested in doing that? And I was working for a, for a PVC company that made plastic pipe and polyethylene pipe. Abe would know that he works for Centennial because Centennial makes polypipe, and those are the people that the owners of that company are the ones that brought me out here to work for them at the PVC side. So I, we thought about it, prayed about it. We had just, you know, Drew had passed away in 1999, and we had just been through absolute turmoil as a family. And so it was like, I don't know, pick up and leave, I guess that's okay. But we actually decided then to make that move and come here. And I came here and lived here about five months by myself, looking for a place to live, getting used to the territory, all the rest. And I said, Eileen, I need to pick out a house. And she said, I'll just pick one. I'll, you'll be fine. I said, uh, I do not want to pick a house without you seeing it. <laughs> right? That's not a good decision. But I did. I found one and took pictures all through the house and took pictures outside and sent them to her and said, is this one okay? <laughs> she said, oh, yeah, that'll do. So we bought it and moved. Well, it wasn't long after that that another decision popped up. Again, just concentrating on that verse, which one shall I choose, Paul says. What shall I choose to do? What choices should I make? 
that are right? What choices should I make that are correct that will actually bring glory to him and bring happiness to the rest of the family and to whatever other situation we're in? So boom, in 2000, we were here not even hardly a year. And the Asian kids came. We always call ourselves a little, you know, we are pretty, we have white kids, we have African-American kids, we have Vietnamese kids. Occasionally, yeah, occasionally we have some white ones, but, <laughs> but we, Eileen had said, well, let's do, let's, let's do foster care, okay? Let's take, let's get a couple kids. And so, I should have known in the beginning, when she says two, she means six. <laughs> but <laughs> so we, we met these kids, we only met four of them at that time. And they were aged, golly, five, four, three, two, and one. Just stair-step kids. Cutest little boogers you've ever seen. And so we foster cared them for a while. And that was with the goal for adoption, and boom, adoption was going to come through. But it took, we, we actually fostered them for almost six years. And in 2006, another one of those phone calls you get where somebody's laughing on the other end of the phone and says, you're not going to believe this, but there's two more. That makes six, by the way. Nobody even knew there were two other children. In the meantime, they had had two more kids. And the state came in and took those away as well because of neglect. So in 2006, I was on a trip to Kenya, Africa, with the church. And Eileen wasn't able to get a hold of me. But everybody on the trip said, Your I said our anniversary is July 30th. And they said, you have to call home on July 30th. We'll, we'll find a way for you to call home and say happy anniversary to your wife. So I called home on July 30th in 2006 and said, hi, happy anniversary. And she said, same to you, I have some news for you. <laughs> There's been a couple little changes around here since you've been gone. <laughs> and so she told me they were, and she made the decision, I have to admit, I, she made that bold decision to take those two while I was gone. And when I came home, instead of four, there were six. And that's how, that's how choices are made. Not everybody has the same story. Not everybody is gifted in one area or gifted in another. But I guarantee you that there are times in your life where you ask this question, which one should I choose? There are choices that we can make that oftentimes and can possibly lead us in the wrong direction, right? How many of you have ever made a bad choice? You're honest enough to raise your hand. I'll raise mine. But when you make the right choice, and the right choice is something that comes with a whole lot of discussion, a whole lot of prayer, a whole lot of understanding of just what you think and believe in all your heart, what God is trying to do in your particular life or in mine. And when we make those choices, your life totally changes. 
it's never the same. So the point is, <laughs> this doesn't have to be a very long message because the point is so simple. Choices, choices, choices. What kind of choices have you had to make this last year? And when you did, what happened? How did it change your life? How did it change your perspective? How did it change your relationship in your family? How did it change your job? How did it change life as a whole? And the neat thing about Scripture is it never changes. This book is old, really old. And what's said in it applied the day Paul wrote it and the years after. And it applies today. Which one? I mean, you may be facing a decision right now. I don't know. I don't know what goes on in everybody's life or in your mind or whatever. You may be facing a pretty grand and large decision right now. I don't know. It's very possible. But you will know when you apply these principles in your life and in your marriage, something happens to where those decisions, because you know they are right, are a little easier to make. And sometimes, hey, in the Old Testament, I always thought it'd be fun, sometimes they cast lots. <laughs> it's like putting numbers one through five in a hat and drawing one out and see which number it is. <laughs> Oop, number two, we have to adopt more kids. <laughs> number three, you need to change your job. There are things in culture. We live in a culture that I would not say, and I don't think you would either, that we anymore, or maybe we never did, I don't know. But I, today we do not live in a Christian culture. We'd like to think we do. We like to study history and see how this country was founded. We like to know where we came from. We like to understand what prompted these people to do what they did two or three hundred years ago when this land was so new. All the mistakes that were made and the good things that were done, you know, no country's perfect. But we live today, and I think in a sense, we live in a, in a culture that makes us stronger. And then you think, that's a dumb thing to say, but it's not. When you and I face those kinds of anti-Christian or non-Christian or utterly ridiculous decisions that are made that affect people's life, oftentimes in such a negative way, what does that do to your faith? To me, that does an amazing thing and strengthens my faith. That I'm told that perilous times will come. I'm told that there will be times when we are tested. There'll be times when we have to learn how to trust what he's doing. We have to learn sometimes how to shut up and how to be quiet before him and say, what are you doing? What are you saying? What do you if I kind of understand what you're saying, then what do you want me to do? So again, if we're living in unprecedented times today, 
and we are, there are opportunities for you and for me that are really unbelievable. Because in the church, if you read the book of Acts, how did the church grow? The church grew under persecution. I would never ask for persecution. <laughs> I would never ask for someone to hate me. I would never ask for someone to be so against God that they would do anything and everything to stop him. And yet, that happens sometimes, <laughs> right? Persecution comes. Hard times come. Hey, there's always, <laughs> what does James say? I've, this verse has always driven me crazy, but he says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Count it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing what? That the testing of your faith produces endurance. <laughs> Some versions say patience, but endurance is a stronger word. Endurance, when we have endurance, we're stronger, we're able to face the fiery darts that come. <laughs> I love that energy, that's awesome. Now, if an adult started doing that and running around the room, I'd make you sit down. Okay. <laughs> but in count, when we encounter various trials or testings is literally what that means. Knowing that the testing of our faith, what you and I believe, if we really 100% grab onto it and believe it, we know that the testing of that faith, that will come, will produce strength and endurance. And I just want to close today really just, golly, we could say all kinds of things, but I think the best way to close today is to, is to simply read, I'm not even sure we read the entire passage anyway, did we? Good, okay. But to read the following verses that, that, end the ch that end that chapter, Paul says this. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation. <laughs> and that from God, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. Paul wrote that. I didn't. There's really nothing we can add to that when he says, 
not in any way be terrified by your adversaries, but to you of salvation, <laughs> and that from God. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, there's so many more things, Father, we could say that you could say to us through these through this passage, through your word. I guess that's the, uh, the beauty of your word is that every time we look at it, every time we hear somebody talk about it, every time we read it ourselves or have it applied in a particular situation, it becomes living. And your word says the word of God is, is living and sharper than any two-edged sword, <laughs> able to discern the thoughts and minds of man. So we ask you to do that today. We thank you, Lord, for, for our own experiences. We thank you, Father, for the choices that you set in our way that oftentimes may seem difficult, that may, in our minds, think that that would lead to hardship. But Lord, once we make that decision and we know that decision is from you, we see amazing things happen. And what that sets in front of us, Father, is a, a series of things in the days to come because of that decision that have made our life a better life and more able to walk in a way that is pleasing to you. We thank you, Father, for the families that are represented here, from grandpas to dads to moms to kids to grandkids. All, Father, you know, you know the story. You know what has brought them to this place. You know where they are. You know where we are in our life. You know exactly what it is that you have in store for us and how great are the plans of God for those who trust in you. And so we are so thankful so thankful for your son who made all this possible. For we are confident that we will continue and that you will continue to bless. Help us to be obedient. Help us to be the children that you have created us to be. So thank you, Lord, for your spirit. Guide and direct everything we do today and in the week to come. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. God bless you. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.